0: Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so that you can create better products that your customers love. Today, we're talking about using qualitative data to drive our work and product and consequently also improve sales. Joining us is Daniel Erickson. He's the founder and CEO of Viable, an AI analytics tool that enables businesses to instantly access and act on valuable insights from customer feedback, saving them hundreds of hours spent analyzing feedback themselves. Before founding Viable, he held senior leadership roles in engineering, technology, and products. So he's the kind of person that we really enjoy talking to. Also, as a reminder listeners, we do create a written summary of everything we discuss, including a one-page action guide to help you put into action immediately some of the key takeaways that Daniel will share with us. It also turns out to be a really good discussion guide if you want to share any of these topics with your group and you have a discussion, maybe that lunch and learn meeting about it. So Get those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 462. This podcast is made possible by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, that's the RPM Experience. This helps product VPs and leaders get their product managers and everyone else contributing product to increase performance, working alignment to reach your North Star objectives. It's really best for new teams or for established teams that are facing some big objective, maybe a really tight deadline or uh, new work that we haven't done before. What we do is we meet virtually for nine weeks, 75 minutes each week, and the participants learn the seven essential product knowledge areas. And in the process, they're building trust and improving their collaboration with each other. I created the RPM experience several years ago, building on my PhD work in innovation, and I've refined the experience through real world experiences in many organizations since then. Please, if you wanna find out more, go to productmasterynow.com and see if it can help you. Daniel, thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Chad.
0: I'm delighted to be talking about qualitative data. Like you, my background is also engineering, And when I did the PhD work, I thought for sure I would do a quantitative study because I like numbers and math, right? And that seemed like the obvious thing to do. My problem, my question in the dissertation didn't lend itself to that. And I had to learn how to do qualitative (laughs) analysis. And ever since then, I have found lots of value in doing qualitative work with uh, customers, especially. And really curious about your take on this. First, what is that qualitative data that you have found that's useful and for us as product people, making product management type decisions.
1: So when most people think about, about using qualitative data in product management, they, they immediately go to the the surveys uh, or, or user interviews of the world, right? The, the user research side of things, where you're creating a, a survey, you're sending that out to your customers, Maybe, there, maybe it's mostly multiple choice questions through there. Maybe you've got a couple of different open text questions that, that you pull in as well. Or you're putting together some sort of user interview where you're presenting some mock-up or prototype to users and then literally just walking through the, the prototype with them and, and getting their, their sort of initial reactions. That's what most people think of when you first think about qualitative feedback and and data that that product teams use. That said, I think that there's a huge wealth of, of other kinds of qualitative data that often gets ignored by product teams. And that's mostly because it's just so damn hard to use. So this is things like customer support tickets, sales call transcripts, social media mentions, and yes, survey responses, interview transcripts and the like but also things like product reviews or app store reviews oftentimes you've got somebody in the on the team who's responsible for reading through all of that stuff synthesizing that into some sort of insight and then disseminating those insights across the team typically this is a very manual process though and so very few teams actually decide to do the work
0: it's a very manual process that's a huge amount of data right depends on the presence of the company in the market and the product and who how many people are talking about it but this adds up quickly and to create some kind of integrated picture about that is really challenging, right? It, it depends on what aspects of things you're looking at. Just If we just focus on the support tickets, we might have a different impression of things than maybe some other things we're looking at, too. So talk us through a little bit about m- maybe making better use of this data as product people. What, what can we gain from it? How can we put it into action?
1: Absolutely. Let me walk you through the typical manual process uh, that I've seen companies uh, do uh, to do this before. And actually, prior to, to starting Viable, most of the product teams that I work with actually did some form of this in one way or another. So typically it starts with somebody on the product team saying, hey, we need to know more about what our customers need from us. What problems are they hitting? Uh, What feature requests do they have? How do they actually talk about the values that they or the value that they get from the product itself? What questions do they ask most frequently? All of these are, are top of mind questions that product teams often have and CX teams and sales teams and marketing teams as well. Typically what happens then is some product leader uh, on the team goes to some poor associate PM and asks them to collate all of this data together. And what they do is that person will then go to the customer support team and they'll ask one of two things. Either, can you get me your raw data so I can do this work for you? Or can you tell me what the customers are saying? Can you do that and do that work for me? typically either the head of customer support or whoever it is that they're interfacing with over there will then ask will then either give you a response just off the cuff off the top of their head which will lead to bias it will likely not be the most the most sort of big picture view of what's going on it's going to be whatever the loudest customer was or the latest customer mm-hmm. all of that stuff is going to produce bias so either the the associate PM themselves or that person over on the CX team will then sit down and read through everything. What this typically looks like is getting an export from your Zendesk or your intercom or something like that, piping it into Excel or Google Sheets, and then adding a column. And basically that column is for the the bucketing system that you're going to use, right? So typically speaking, I see roughly anywhere from five on the low end to maybe 20 on the high end different buckets that teams will use this can be something like bluetooth or onboarding or checkout uh, or android and they'll basically read through each one of them and tag them right from there they then have to do this for each one of their data sets so they go to the marketing team and they get the nps data set they go to the sales team and they get the sales call transcripts oftentimes They don't actually do this on on multiple data sets because it just takes too much work. So they choose one, might be App Store reviews, might be NPS responses, might be customer support tickets, so on and so forth. Then they go through and they actually spend the time tagging each individual one. And when they're done with that, they then look up pivot tables, they dig in and they go, okay, here's the volume of this one, here's our biggest one, let's go ahead and read through all of those, synthesize that into maybe a paragraph of a summary for that, and write up a report. That report then gets sent to the the top level leadership. Generally speaking, it hits the the highest person in product first. That person reviews it, maybe cherry picks a few different things from it, and then presents that to their executive team. As you can imagine, this takes a phenomenal amount of time. The average average time that this takes, in my experience, and uh, actually talking to our customers as well, is anywhere from about 10 to 20 hours per week. That's a lot of time that you could be spending specking out new features or actually delivering those new features. And and yeah, so it's it ends up being a very manual process that takes a lot of time. And then actually at the end of it, you actually only get analysis for five anywhere between 5 and 20 buckets. Because these buckets are so broad, they're as broad as checkout or onboarding, it's hard to actually take action on that one paragraph of summary that person wrote up. So in our experience, actually, and our customer's experience as well, when you do this in a more human way, it's hard to get the nuance because unless you're spending multiple hours going through this and really looking at every single data point in that uh, that data set and then breaking each one of those data sets up into multiple different topics, uh, you're going to end up missing some of the nuance. Most Data points, so a data point being uh, a survey response or a ticket in Zendesk, so on and so forth, have actually multiple topics that people are talking about. It's not usually relegated to just one thing. However, most humans who read it will look at it and go, they're mainly talking about checkout here, so I'm just going to tag it as that but they might've talked about onboarding, checkout, Mm -hmm. team management, like all of that stuff might've been included in that. And so it's really difficult uh, to get that nuance if you're just using these large buckets. But it's also really hard to get the nuance if you've got, 120 different buckets you're trying to manually sort things into. So it's really a chicken and egg thing where it's it's hard to get the fidelity of information that you need uh, to act on it, but you need that information to act. So this is where actually we found that artificial intelligence is starting to help companies make better decisions around this stuff. Because instead of spending all that manual time going through all of your stuff, you can actually have computers do that now and actually do it in a more nuanced way than most humans are capable of.
2: We'll be back in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by the RPM Experience, the rapid product mastery experience. In just nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, product managers, teams, and leaders become product masters, creating more value for customers, their organization, and themselves. You will build a broad foundation of product management knowledge, get everyone on the same page, while also improving collaboration and renewing a focus on the customer all resulting in higher performance. Participants feel empowered and more confident about their work. They learn how to create value for customers and revenue for their organization. One product leader who used the RPM experience across a global organization said it is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed. Many organizations have benefited from the RPM experience and you'll find them listed at productmasterynow.com RPM. Go to the same URL and schedule time to talk about how Chad and his team can help you and your organization.
0: This is a lot of work. Oh, it's hot. I've done qualitative research as a product manager with my product hat on. With ethnography being my favorite approach, I love actually observing customers. And then we're taking notes and maybe we're following up with some interviews. And that generates a fair bit of data to try to figure out. But often we're at least with them. And so we're having some experience through that those observations interacting, which helps provide maybe some nuance that is important. But it's a lot of data, right? And then with my professor hat on, this gets oh, so much more complicated because if we're like the last qualitative study I was involved in was basically people creating logs from meetings, which would be if we were to just read them out loud, like 45 minutes a piece, a transcript that would take that long. And we would have dozens of these to go through. And we do it basically three times because I, as a researcher, would code it. Another fellow researcher would code it. Then we would discuss what tags we use, what co- to, to mm-hmm. do the coding work, and then we do it again. You know, so it's we do it individually. Two two times there, and then we do it again together, and it's just enormous amounts of work to get through. None none of us want to be doing this, right? And consequently, I think because none of us want to be doing this, we're probably missing a lot of information that's actually valuable because we're not doing it. That's just the reality, right? Yeah. AI is really interesting to so many of us because we're seeing it applied in so many areas. And several years ago, we started having some tools show up for product people that would talk about, let's try to understand the sentiment through like social media posts. right? Are, Are people... Overall negative on our brand or product, or they overall positive, and this has advanced a lot lately. So take us through how we're able to make this better today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little history here. When we go back and we look at the first text analytics software that came, that came out, there were some before this, but the first one that I, I think really hit the ground and, and ran with it was Clarabridge, and they are a tool for analysts to use to understand what is in a large corpus of open-ended text. Typically speaking, we're talking word clouds and charts and graphs that come out of this this kind of thing. A word cloud can be useful for sort of an at-a-glance idea of what people are talking about, but it doesn't really give you much other than here's some topics that you might want to pay attention to. On the charting side, I don't know if you've ever stared at a sentiment chart, but when I'm looking at one and it's like up and to the right, that's great, okay. It says 72.3% positive. Awesome. What do I do with that? how does that actually change my actions that I'm going to take? What? How do I actually take action to either improve that or do whatever it is I'm supposed to do with a sentiment graph, right? Uh, and the answer is most people don't know. It's a good uh, indicator of how you're doing, but it's a lagging thing, right? It's more of a, a score that you give yourself and less of an actual sort of North star. So, What we're getting to now, though, so that that has actually evolved over time. We've got more sophisticated tools to identify different topics. We're doing a better job with things like sarcasm and and agglomerating different like uh, different topics that are worded differently, but actually are the same topic together. So we, we made a few breakthroughs over the years on that side of the world. But then transformer models came out. And I'm going to get a little technical here. Sorry about that. But it is basically what happened was we used to have these sort of classical natural language processing models that would do things like understand where the verbs are in the sentence or understand where the, where the nouns are. What's a proper noun? What's a, what's a a pronoun, right? Like all of these things that can go in and, and identify the parts of speech, basically. And most tools before these large language models came out, were basically just doing parts of speech analysis. It was extracting the nouns and putting that in a word cloud. That was basically what it was doing. Then we got these large language models, these transformer models. And what that did was actually gave computers an understanding of language itself. It's no longer just doing an algorithmic approach of breaking apart parts of speech. It's actually using statistics to predict what was meant by the wording in that unstructured text. Which means you can do really cool stuff. You can, like I said, agglomerate together multiple different concepts that are actually talking about the same concept. So if I say checkout or cart or things like that, I could group those things together or sarcasm, right? So if somebody says, yeah, that was really good, they can actually understand that is sarcasm within that concept or within that structure, the sentence structure. So what it's done is it's really leveled up computer's ability to understand human language. And with that, we've actually been able to push the the technology much further to be much more helpful in analyzing these large bits of text. Most people in the market today are still stuck in that building tools for analysts approach. And what I mean by that is charts and graphs and dashboards and word clouds, Um, They're getting better and better because they are able to understand sarcasm better, so their sentiment is is more accurate. They're able to put those synonyms together so that their topics become more accurate. And we're starting to do a little bit more sort of thematic analysis. And that is basically clustering groups of text together that are all talking about the same thing. So we're getting better and better at that. Um, That's what most tools today do. Viable actually decided to take a, a leap forward from there. Uh, and actually start providing analysis itself. Uh, so instead of just grouping things together and identifying these themes, uh, we actually wanted to dig in and analyze each one of these themes uh, the same way that a qualitative analyst would do it themselves. So instead of being a tool for analysts, Viable is basically an analyst. that You interact with it by piping data into it, and then actually asking questions and, and producing reports based on, on the data itself. And each one of our reports actually identifies a ton of different themes and then actually outputs a a full list or a full analysis for each one of those themes. That includes what are people talking about? Why are they talking about it? Who's talking about this thing? And what should you do about it? And that's every single theme. So instead of Pumping out, say, a dozen themes, like you would in the more manual process, we'll pump out 120 themes uh, that are all each much more actionable. So instead of something like checkout, it could be users having trouble adding credit cards at checkout, right? What what basically has allowed us to do this is these large language models like GPT-3, ChatGPT, Claude, stuff from Google like Palm. And all of these are really like we're in just a renaissance right now for language AI. And it's been really fun to serve the way for the last three years.
0: Okay, no doubt. Okay, so the, I suspect most listeners have had some experience with ChatGPT or image creation through AI. I've used ChatGPT primarily as a writing muse to help generate some ideas for me as I'm thinking about. One day, I was literally staring at the blank page, more or less, for about two hours when I needed to write a case study. I just wasn't in the mood. and wasn't getting into it. I'm like, where am I going to start? Oh, ChatGPT. Answer this question for me. And it just was a great way to stimulate thought. And I also appreciate that I can tell it when it's off track and it will say, oh, thanks for letting me know. How, maybe this will be more helpful. And we have nice conversations going back and forth with AI. This being an analyst is a very different sort of thing based on my experience with qualitative data analysis. And I haven't used a tool like this for again professor hat on when we're doing qualitative analysis. There's some tools to help, but for the most part, they're basically accounting software right that they help they they make the excel spreadsheet a little bit friendlier for us to work with right because we haven't found as researchers at least i haven't found or or my colleagues i've talked to particularly good tools to help do some of this automatically now it sounds like we're getting there right that think about this really as an analyst Take us through some more examples, if, if you would. I just want to make sure this is hitting home to me and hopefully to listeners too. I really like the example of well, there's a checkout problem. Okay, what do we fix in the checkout problem? We, we need to dig deeper to understand, or, or we might just be putting our effort someplace that actually doesn't move the needle and making the product better for anyone. And your example, hey, okay, we could return that you're actually having a problem with the credit card entry or processing or something. Can you take us through some other examples that have come up?
1: We actually had one uh, that was, this is a little bit more uh, process oriented than product oriented. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I I can show how it it works on many different scales here. Uh, But we were working with a e-commerce company that has a lot of shipping to do. And what they do is a lot of custom printing. And then they they ship the custom printed items to their customers. They were receiving a. They were receiving a lot of complaints about T-shirts specifically arriving in a in a bad state. So it was I, things being torn or scratched, or that the printing quality not being quite there, and. What they did was they piped all the this the, the customer feedback in the form of, of support tickets into Bible. And we ran our analysis on it. We found probably, I think on that one was actually close to 200 different themes that we were able to find. And then they searched through that to find anything about t-shirts because they knew they, they had some problem around here. So they searched that. We found a bunch of different themes that had to do with t-shirts and they dug in and they found this one theme that we had that was actually talking about t-shirt quality after the after shipping and when they dug in they they actually realized that the problem was actually with the shipping company that they used not with the manufacturing process it was because of the of the shipping material itself was interfering with the with the quality of the products it was not sort of being, it was not structurally sound enough to to properly ship this ship this without defect, hmm. and we were able to figure that out just by reading through the responses. And our system actually made that leap. It looked at it and said, "Okay, people are complaining about this and this, and it looks like it's it has a lot to do with with the actual shipping method itself." And then dug in, and the recommendation we had was switch shipping providers. They switched it. They, we ran the next report for them a month later, and as you can see in the actual membership of that cluster itself it actually decreased dramatically it was like a, it was like a 50% decrease in nights about quality after shipping hmm. so that's you can use it not only for discovering those issues but even for validating whether or not your fix worked
0: some ongoing intelligence for us to yeah. uh, understand where our customers are with products that's a very powerful example and as a product person i'm thinking if we're having a problem with t-shirt quality I'm going to pick up the phone, and I'm going to call the customers that are saying, we're having a problem with this, right? Which would give me some insights, and I may or may not discover it's actually related to shipping. If I visit a customer to two with the problem, I might figure that out, right? Obviously, that takes more time and resources to, to do those personal direct interactions, gets, yeah. as opposed to having some mechanism in place like this. Um, What are organizations doing to, in some sense, automate this into their normal process Yeah. to just say, we have data that we're not maybe making good use of right now. How can we turn that into something valuable for us?
1: Definitely. So first off, you're you're absolutely right. The the traditional approach is you go out and you go find this information and you you come up with a a problem that you need solved, and then you go ask users about it. But turns out, 80% 80% of data that is collected by companies today is actually unstructured text. And it comes in the form of things like support tickets and, and all of this, right? So this is a bunch of data your company already has. You actually already have these answers sitting around in your support queue, in your sales call transcripts, in your NPS responses, in your app store reviews. These, the answers to your questions are actually already there. Uh, the, the question is, how do you actually operationalize uh, getting the answers uh, to those questions? And uh, what it looks like, actually, uh, is a bit of a canary in the feedback minds uh, approach, uh, where you pipe all of your feedback into one system. Uh, You keep that as your system of record for customer feedback, uh, and then... That system should, if it's good enough, produce insights on a regular cadence. For most of our customers, that's weekly. Every week on Monday morning, you get a report from us that says, here's how things have changed over the last week. And we'll show you your complaints have decreased, your compliments have increased, Your here's the top three feature requests that you have, here's the top three questions you have, or 20 questions, or however many you have. And you can then dig in. Those rankings will change over time as you fix one of your main complaints, another one might rise to the top, but you use this as your pulse for customer feedback. And it's a really awesome way to just have a a high level view, a zoomed out forest for the trees view of your customer. And to really actually even have it in your customer's voice, uh, because all of our analysis actually comes with uh, direct quotes from customers as well. It's woven into the written analysis that our, that our system uh, produces. Uh, so what happens is you read that report and you look at it and you're like, OK, great. We're making progress on the stuff that we've been tackling. The complaints are going down, compliments going up. And then you dig into your top complaint or your top feature request, and you read what the customers have to say. We'll, we'll give you that summary approach there and some recommendations for what you might want to do, but we'll also give you the raw text from the customers. So if you want to, you can go through and read every single complaint that got grouped into that one main complaint about checkout or credit cards at checkout or whatever it was. From there, you can then formula, formulate a plan and, and implement that. Something we actually just recently launched and, and are in alpha with a few different uh, companies right now is this this new awesome feature called Ask Viable. And this is actually the first time I'm talking publicly about this, but basically what it does is allows you to take action on this stuff. So imagine you're reading through a, a theme and you're like, okay, I really want to understand how this, how we should spec out the feature for this. So you can actually just click the Ask Viable button, but you can then type in a prompt And you can say something like, split the themes up into different feature requests, and for each feature request, a PRD. And then explain actually what you want from a PRD. Explain the requirements, the goals, maybe some success metrics that it could could come up with. All those things out. Uh, Hit the submit button, and two minutes later, you now have a PRD for every feature request that, that your customers have asked for. Right. Now that's like a one-pager, right? You're probably gonna want to go through edit, you're gonna add add some more context, add some more stuff that it only is the PM, but it gives you a great head start. Very much like you were referencing before for that case study that you were writing up, where you needed just a little bit to get off the ground. Right. And that's what we're targeting right now is helping you start those processes, both writing PRDs, writing bug reports, writing frequently, helped quest- or frequently asked questions for help desk articles, writing sales objection notes, and things like that, right? All of these things are things that, are, that you can take customer feedback and produce actual artifacts and output.
0: Excellent. Yeah, very powerful. We're certainly at this tipping point where productivity can certainly make a leap you know, in terms of what a product manager can accomplish and do because of tools like this. And this isn't a sponsored podcast by any means, right? Absolutely. Glad to hear about what Fiable is up to because there's you and a few companies are you know, leading the way in, in tools that are very useful to product managers. And we have overwhelming amounts of data to deal with, right? We've created more access to information and brought it into organizations. And our capability to actually analyze that hasn't been keeping up. So we need some powerful ways to do that. One more question I want to get get to, because this has come up. I've heard you comment before on that, that the single most important question product managers can ask, or maybe do ask, is determining whether they've nailed product market fit. What is that question? to determine if you've nailed product market fit?
1: Product market fit is super important to understand, both as a founder and as a as an early stage PM. And even right, I, this concept of feature market fit, if you've already got a product that's got product market fit, but you're adding to it, you still want to understand whether or not that feature that you're developing will actually meet the needs of that market as well. And this question works across all those different use cases. And the question is, actually taken from the the superhuman product market fit process, which was actually originally inspired by Sean Ellis. And that question is, how disappointed would you be if you could no longer use this product? And then you'd actually change this product to be the name of the product. So for us, it would be if you could no longer use viable. Uh, For Uber, it would be if you could no longer use Uber. And what you're measuring there is the percentage of people who would be very disappointed if they could no longer use your product. And this was actually done uh, originally by Sean Ellis in a study over a decade ago, and he was trying to find a question that would be a leading indicator for product market fit for for products. And he did this across about a hundred different product companies and started asking a bunch of different questions to find it. And he eventually landed on this one as the most indicative of product market fit. In fact, if 40% or more of your respondents say that they would be very disappointed to, to no longer have access to your, to your product, then you're likely already at product market fit. Additionally, however, I do suggest that you ask three more questions. First being, who would get the biggest benefit from using this product? Second is, what benefit do you get from using this product? And third is, how can we improve this product for you? It's important to make sure that all of those are open-ended text questions, because as soon as you make them multiple choice, you're now asking a leading question. You're basically giving people buckets to, to sort themselves into instead of allowing them to express their actual needs. And you can use the answers to these questions to actually help you improve your score for the first question. As you improve the product for people, that score should start going up. As you understand the benefit that you're providing, you can actually focus in and hone in on that value proposition. And then as you understand who would be using this, you can actually further target your audience down to just the people who are going to get the most benefit from this at first and then expand from there. But once again, it's hard to do if you don't have a way of looking through all of that data. At an early stage, you can do that manually right you've only got maybe 20 30 customers uh, right do that manually first but as soon as you start graduating into the multiple thousands it's absolutely time to look into a tool that can help you do that man- uh, automatically
0: good okay really good information as listeners know we love innovation quotes and i asked you to bring one for us and just share what that means to you
1: for me it's a quote from alan Kay. Uh, and the quote is the best way to predict the future is to create it and Really, this is because, uh, I, I love this quote, because the, the future is actually getting harder and harder to predict. As we're increasing the opportunities available to us, it's actually really difficult for us to understand which one of those opportunities is going to come, uh, which one of those is actually going to be fulfilled, and it's hard to predict how the future is going to look. That said, if you if you can look at one of those opportunities and go, I know how to capture that. I can do that. You can then force the future that you want into the world. It takes tenacity and it takes creativity. But in order to do that, you really do just have to pick something, go for it, and try your hardest to make that the future you want to see.
0: Excellent. That's a great quote. Thank you for sharing that one with us. For people that do want to find out more about the work that you're doing, resources that might be available, what do you want to share with us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I hope this is a win scenario, but mm-hmm. I, I really do believe that Viable can help every product team build up their, build up customer obsession and take action on the feedback. Uh, you can find us at askviable.com.
0: Pretty simple, askviable.com. And we'll make sure the link is in the show notes as well, but I think we can probably find that one on our own. Okay. Daniel, really appreciate the information and you taking time to be with us today.
1: Yeah, appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you.
0: And listeners, once again, if you want the written summary of anything we discussed and that one-page action guide, which is a great discussion guide for your team to have a discussion around these topics, and also will help you with the key takeaways that came up, you can find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 462. Everyone, as always, keep innovating.
2: Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating. Judy was boring. Hello.
0: Then, Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>